We're in a series titled Fulfilling Our Ministry 2020, uh, Decisions for a New Decade. Um, and as we enter in this morning, I just want to say one thing. Some of you have been a part of Life Point Church for a good long time, and you have never kind of formalized your relationship with this church. You've never become a Life Point partner, which is our term we use for members. And uh, I want to ask you to do that. And you can do it very simply by going to mylpclacy.com or mylpcole.com. They're the, the same site. And uh, just find the link for partnership. It's a very, very easy process. And uh, I hope that, uh, that you will take that step and uh, become a formal part of uh, the partners in ministry here at LifePoint Church. It's under Next Steps. The title of this series is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's letter to his young protege Timothy, and he writes there at 2 Timothy 4, 5, As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Each of those exhortations would apply to us today individually and as a church. My heart is that we, as a church, in this time that we have, would fulfill the ministry that God has put in front of us. My prayer has been for a good long time that the LifePoint Church would outlive all of us. That LifePoint Church would uh, see whole new generations of people here in Thurston County worshiping together, coming to know Christ together, evangelizing this community together. And so it's incumbent on us that we be, as Paul said, sober-minded, that we would fulfill our ministry. And so uh, my purpose in this series is to be sober-minded and to, and to suggest very soberly very seriously, uh, some areas that I think that we need to focus on. You might say that as, as you see what they are, as they unfold over the series, you'll say, well, they're very basic, and, and yeah. You know, if you play baseball or you play basketball or you play football or soccer or whatever you're going to play, the fundamentals always matter. It's, it's mastering the fundamentals that leads to success. And so decision number two this morning is this, that if we're going to fulfill our ministry, then we have got to prioritize prayer. Prioritize prayer. And our goal in that is that we would see people praying together as a normal occurrence, a normal sight in our church. And I want to be quick to say two things about that. First, by our church, I don't mean our building only, although I would include that. But I really mean the whole life of our church. When we're scattered, we are no less the church than when we are gathered. And because the building is where we gather, it presents an abundance of opportunities for prayer together. Because the community is where we're sent and to which we scatter, it's imperative that we pray when we are out in the community for and with each other and for the community we're called to serve. 
Secondly, I, I don't mean to suggest that prayer is not now happening in our church. There's, there's a lot of prayer that goes on here. Uh, every morning, every Sunday morning, there are elders praying in another room. They're praying right now as we're gathered here. Um, there are people uh, that, that ex- share prayer requests on our uh, LifePoint Church community Facebook group. And, uh, and, and people just jump in and say, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying right now. What I'm calling for, however, is a greater frequency of prayer. Uh, what I'm calling for is a greater intensity of prayer. And what I'm calling for is a truer consistency of prayer than we've previously experienced. Seeing people praying together ought to become a normal sight in our church. In, first of all, in corporate worship. And I want you to know that, that I'm going to take the responsibility to, to spend more time with you in prayer, in our corporate worship. Greater intentionality. We ought to be seeing it happening in pairs. As people are just sharing together. You know, one of the things that I've begun to implement on, on Sunday mornings is that when someone asks me to pray or somebody shares a prayer request, I'm going to pray with them right then because my forgetter really works overtime. I have mastered the art of forgetfulness. And it's so easy, you know, after someone shares something with you and you intend to pray for them, to just forget. You go home, you get busy, you get distracted, you just forget. And why not just take the time right there as someone shares a concern, big or small, to pray with them in group conversations. Uh, same thing. Don't merely share, but intentionally pray for one another. Here in the worship center, in the worship center we're going to move into, we're going to provide regular opportunities for people to come and be prayed for. In classrooms, people of all ages, children, youth, adults, learning to come before the Heavenly Father in prayer. Uh, in life groups. You know, so easy in our life groups, and I've, I've been in a lot of life groups, I've led a lot of life groups, and here's what I know, that it's easy to neglect prayer. You can intend to pray, but a lot of things kind of get in the way, and then you're at the end of the meeting, and you're going, oh, we're supposed to pray. <laughs> Maybe you ought to make it the first thing that we do. Uh, maybe you ought to spend less time sharing prayer requests and just pray. In youth groups, uh, my hope is that our young people are learning that they can take their problems to God. Uh, adolescence is such a difficult time, isn't it? I mean, I, how many of you would ever go back there for all the tea in China, right? I mean, it's, it's like, oh, fun times, but oh, no. And so we want our young people to, to learn that they can share their problems freely with God and that he will hear and answer in our men's groups. You know, men, uh, we, we tend to put up lots of walls. We're pretty competitive. Uh, we're pretty uh, insecure on a lot of levels. And, and we don't share very freely. And uh, men's groups ought to be a place where men are finding safety and freedom to ask for prayer, to receive prayer, and to pray for each other. And women's groups, women of all ages, coming before God in prayer. Never been a woman, so I don't know those issues. Hope never to become one. But uh, you know 
and in settings throughout the entire community that we've been called to serve, that we've been called to to evangelize uh, in our homes and neighborhoods and classrooms and boardrooms, offices and stores, restaurants and coffee shops, in fitness centers and hospitals and clinics and nursing facilities and, and everywhere we go. We ought to be carrying on a ministry of prayer. Well, what is prayer? What I want to say about prayer is that it's simply a conversation with God. It's not a program. For those who are following Jesus, prayer undergirds our individual lives and the whole life of our church. It it deepens our intimacy with God. It sustains our worship. It fuels the mission of the church. Prayer strengthens our community, our relations with one another that form the relational fabric of our church, and so much more. Prayer is the highest privilege of life. You realize that? Sometimes we think of work, uh, prayer as work or a drudgery, and, and sometimes it is. But think of this. If you, if you got a call from the White House that said the president would like to have a personal conversation with you. Now, I don't know how you feel about our current president. Pick your favorite president. And you got a call from the president. And he said, I'd like to have a personal conversation with you. I'd like to know what's going on in your life. Uh, wouldn't you jump to that opportunity? I mean, you'd probably jump even if you didn't like the president because he's the president. But the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who knew you before you were born, knew everything about you, knew all the days of your lives before there was yet one of them, wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to have an ongoing dialogue with you. Prayer is the exclusive privilege of a Christian. And it is the highest privilege of the Christian life. If you don't have a personal prayer life, a conversational relationship with God, then one of two things are true of you. First, it's possible that you're not a Christian at all. You you need to transfer your trust to Christ. You need to gain access to a relationship with God through Him. And He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Maybe you need to come to know Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Second, you, you may be a new Christian who's not yet understood the privilege of prayer or, or learned how to pray. And, and we can help you with that. Yet it's nothing more than talking with God. It's just a conversation. Eloquence is not a requirement. King James English is not a requirement. The these and the thous, just jettison those. Prayer is talking with God in response to what he has done, to what he's revealed to you, what he has said. And understand this, that God initiated the relationship with us through Jesus Christ. He started the conversation. The whole Christian life is is a response to what God has already said and done. So prayer is an ongoing dialogue that God started. So you can whisper to God, you can talk to God, you can groan at God, you can yell at God, you can question God, you can whine and complain to God. You can petition God, ask Him for things. You can worship Him, praise Him, thank Him, sing to Him, email Him, Text him. Send him a Morse code. It's all an ongoing conversation with him. 
And, and he wants you to do all those things. You read through the Psalms, you hear the psalmists saying all kinds of wild things to God. You go, wow, you really said that to God? Yep, sure did. God's got broad shoulders. You, you can say anything to him. I don't know his email address, by the way. Well, what does a church that prioritizes prayer look like? There are lots of things I could say, but here, here are seven observations. It's not an exhaustive list. But here's the first thing. A church that prioritizes prayer demonstrates a conscious dependency on God. It's the demonstration of the dependency. It's not the dependency itself, but it's the expression of that conscious sense that we are dependent on him for everything. In the second chapter of the book titled The Acts of the Apostles, we read this description of the earliest church's awareness of their dependence on God. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, there are a number of other things on that list that they devoted themselves to, a short list, but we're talking this morning about prayer. They devoted themselves. This is, this is the earliest description, well, just about the earliest description of the first church. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now, notice what took place out of that, what God did because of their devotion to prayer. Continuing on at verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. There's a, there was a wow factor to their lives. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There was a, a freedom of the Spirit of God to, to work through them. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And that's the word koinonia that's translated fellowship and community and communion. And there's a whole bunch of words that, that have koinonia at, its, at their root. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was a sense of not... Some people look at this and say, well, it's communism. No, because their things weren't being seized. They were saying, I'll share it. What's mine is yours. I don't regard the things that I have as my exclusive possessions, but I'm willing to serve you by sharing what I have. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They ate together. I'll, I'll be there for that. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There was an attractiveness about their life together that drew others to them and to Christ through them. Now you've heard people say prayer works. Prayer works. And I want to here to say that's not true at all. Prayer doesn't work. But when God's people pray, he works. He works. And he works in power. You hear people say prayer changes things, and that's not true either. Prayer by itself doesn't change anything. When we pray, God changes all kinds of things, beginning with us. And we are radically challenged. We are radically changed by the Spirit of God when we enter into humble, dependent prayer. And then he begins to change our circumstances. This one isn't on your list, but I inserted it. You can add it in. Churches that pray with a conscious sense of dependency on God experience breakthroughs. 
they see God breaking down doors. They see God breaking down walls. We, we read this account in the 12th chapter of Acts. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now this is, these are James and John, the, the disciples of Jesus, the sons of thunder, the two sons of Zebedee. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And just a quick observation. Do you think Herod understood the power of God? Four squads of soldiers to guard one man. Herod understood the power of God. Herod feared God in kind of a perverse way, but he feared God. So notice what it says in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Peter's in prison. The church is gathered to pray. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Some of you guys that are in the military know what that's like. Probably a lot of snoring going on there. Bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. That's a lot of security. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. I love that picture. Angel walks in, whacks him, you know. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Now, I love that. They just walked by the guards. Just walked right by. Cloaking device. When Peter came to himself, I guess as he kind of woke up, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Now this is the John Mark uh, whose name is uh, on, on his gospel, Mark, Mark's gospel, where, where many were gathered together and were praying. You see that? Many were gathered together and were praying. All this stuff's going on and the church is praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Now, I figure she's probably 13, right? Hey, everybody, Peter's at the gate. Open the gate. Open the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind, which tells you she was about 13. But see, they didn't believe it either. 
Peter thought he was dreaming. They think Rhoda's dreaming. They think she's crazy. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. In other words, it's his ghost. He died. He's dead. That's what they expected. See, they were praying for Peter, but they really didn't expect God to come through. Isn't that good? Isn't it good to know that God came through even when they, they didn't really have the faith to believe God would? But they prayed anyway. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James. Now, this is James, the brother of Jesus, the bishop of the church in Jerusalem, and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Isn't that cool story? I love that story. When God's people pray earnestly with and for each other, what we think is impossible becomes possible. God is the God of the impossible. Doors that once imprisoned us are miraculously opened. Chains that once bound us are broken. People are set free. Lives are rescued. Hopes are fulfilled. Joy is realized. The church is encouraged. God is glorified. And the life-transforming message of the gospel just keeps going forward. Amen? You should say amen. Say it again. Thank you. See, what might happen? What might happen if we had teams of people praying together for the ministry of our church for at least one hour every day in our new church facility. What might God do? What, what if a team of people were to walk through the church building on Sunday mornings, in the classrooms, through the hallways, down each row of chairs in the worship center, on the platform and the stage, in each place praying for pastors, and teachers, and all who will attend. That God would be glorified in that place, that Christ would be exalted, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to work in people's hearts and minds, that people would come to know Christ as their Savior that morning. See, those of you who are on the setup team, maybe maybe that's your new role, because I know you love to get up early. What if we had teams of people that that committed to praying at the hour opposite the one in which they attend worship? Some of you are otherwise occupied the other hour. But, But what if you came, you who attend the second service, came to the first service and said, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to join with others. We're going to pray that God would work in the classrooms and in the worship service. What if teams of people were to commit to praying after the Sunday morning activities concluded so that Satan's efforts are thwarted to steal away the seeds that have been planted that morning? What might happen if in all of our groups that meet throughout each week, our life groups, our youth groups, our ministry teams, men's and women's groups, Sunday school classes, were to commit to greater frequency and greater intensity of prayer for God's plans and purposes to be fulfilled? What kinds of breakthroughs might we see? If we came, as we talked about last week, and and expected that God was going to say something, that God was going to do something, that God would respond to our prayers. Secondly, a church that prioritizes prayer has praying leaders. 
or thirdly, I guess, the church that prioritizes prayer has praying leaders. There is woven throughout the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, a principle of modeling the life of discipleship. And it started with Jesus. We read this in Luke's Gospel, that Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Now, I imagine that as they had been watching Jesus' life, as they had been watching his ministry, the things that he said and the things that he did, up close and personal, they they came to the realization that his power had its source in his consistent life of prayer. And they had observed the same thing in John the Baptist. So they asked him to teach them how to pray. They, they wanted to, to move into a greater fullness of ministry. And that, that should be something that each of us desires in our lives. That God would use us in, in greater ways, more powerful ways, in the lives of others. And this became the occasion, of course, for Jesus giving them what we, the, the pattern of prayer that we now call the Lord's Prayer. See, prayer needs to be a major priority in my life. It needs to be a a major priority in the lives of the other pastors, in the lives of our elders. You ought to expect that of us. In the earliest church in Jerusalem, a situation arose that brought this priority really to light. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, church is growing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what's going on here? There are Greek Christians, Gentile Christians, and Jewish Christians, right? And so the church has begun this ministry as you see the, the expansion of the church and things, issues starting to arise, needs starting to present themselves. And one of those was the care for the widows. And there was a feeling amongst the Greek Gentile Christians that their widows were being neglected by those who were serving them. Verse 2, and the twelve summoned, the twelve meaning the twelve apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples, that's the whole church, and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So there's a priority being expressed here. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Why did they make that decision? Because the two fundamental priorities of spiritual leaders in the church is to, first of all, to pray for the church, and secondly, to teach the word of God with as much accuracy, with as much clarity as we can bring in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul taught the Ephesian church that the responsibility of leaders, that is, apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, is to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. And there's an important distinction there, isn't there? We often think of those kinds of people as the ones who do the work of the ministry. And Paul says, no, your responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. So you should be able to look at the lives of the leaders in this church. You ought to be able to see in my life and in their lives a clear pattern of prayer. 
a prioritization of prayer that you can learn and emulate. And I would just say very honestly, we got a long ways to go. Next, a church that prioritizes prayer will value corporate prayer. What's corporate prayer? It's the body of Christ that is the church gathering together for purposeful, intentional, focused prayer. It can happen anytime and anywhere the church gathers. And it's been the pattern of the church from the very day that Jesus ascended into heaven. I mean, that very day, corporate prayer began in the very earliest expression of the church. Acts 1, beginning of verse 12, then, after Je- right after Jesus had ascended into heaven, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. All of these, with one accord, first reference to a car in in the New Testament, were devoting themselves to prayer. You didn't get that, did you? Never mind. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Isn't it interesting? I mean, here they are. First thing they do is they devote themselves to prayer. They they get in a place together and they start praying. And isn't it interesting that the church prayer meetings are predictably the least attended meetings the church ever has? In most churches, you announce a church business meeting and, and everyone will come to have their say. But announce a, a prayer meeting and almost no one will come to pray. Why is that? Maybe it's because we're just uninterested. Maybe it's because we're unconvinced about the importance of prayer. We, we don't pray on our own, so why would we choose to go and pray with others? And perhaps it's because we have no investment in ministry or mission, so that we're not possessed of that sense of desperation that characterizes those who are invested that way. That, that if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't do something, then, then none of our efforts will bear any fruit at all. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And you say, well, that's not true. We can do all kinds of things. Sure, you, you can do all kinds of things. You can go through the motions of being a church. But unless God shows up to work through us, nothing that we do will have any effect for the kingdom of God. In 2 Chronicles 7, God was responding to the the long prayer of Solomon. I mean, and it's long. As the newly completed temple for God in Jerusalem was dedicated. The, The building, of course, was amazing. And it was built to display the glory of God. So for almost two chapters, and they're long chapters, Solomon's praying for the presence and the blessing of God on the building that was built and set aside for his purposes. And the prayer included this. It included a request that the, the eyes of God and the ears of God would be open to the prayers of his servants. And God's answer to Solomon's prayer of dedication, his prayer of consecration, his request that God would hear and, and respond 
was immediate in the form of a challenge and a promise. And God said, if my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people will humble themselves, if they'll acknowledge their dependency on me, if they'll acknowledge my grace and my mercy and my provision for them, if they'll seek my face, if they'll get proactive about pursuing me, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, that if, is they will choose volitionally to turn away from sin, if they'll repent, then on that basis, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Next, a church that prioritizes prayer develops systems and processes to promote and to sustain prayer. In churches where children, youth, and adults grow up to genuine maturity in Christ, in in churches that have a, a transformational impact on their communities, prayer groups, prayer vigils, prayer rooms, prayer events, things of that nature happen regularly, consistently, intentionally. In the coming weeks, I want you to know I'm going to announce a schedule of prayer gatherings and prayer walks as we transition into our new campus. And I want you to be there. Some of you may say, well, I'm uncomfortable praying in a group. I'm uncomfortable praying out loud. And that's okay. Just come and pray silently then with us. Be present. Show solidarity with the church before God as we ask Him to work in power through LifePoint Church in our new digs, in our new community. I'm also creating a new volunteer ministry role, uh, a prayer director. And and this person's role will be to work with the pastors and with lay leaders of ministries to plan and implement strategies that promote the practice of prayer among our children, among our youth, and among our adults. So the kind of person I'm looking for is a person who themselves has an active personal prayer life, uh, who has a passion to see God's people actively praying, and who possesses sufficient relational and organizational skills to fulfill the requirements of the position. Uh, You'll be hearing more about this, but if this sounds appealing to you or you know someone that that fits that description, please come and talk with me because I would like to talk with you or with them. We need to get intentional. We need to get organized. Next, a church that prioritizes prayer will engage its community and its world through prayer. Prayer becomes the avenue by which we initiate community and world engagement. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, LifePoint has been engaging our community in a variety of ways for the past 12 years, 12 years plus. But we have not, by any stretch of the imagination, exhausted the possibilities, have we? (laughs) Not even kind of. And now we're moving into a new neighborhood, or more accurately, a complex of neighborhoods. And and there will be a new learning curve for us as we seek to understand the unique needs of the community. I've been doing some demographic studies, been praying over those, been praying for the community. Uh, We're beginning to reach out to school and business leaders in the area to better understand the community that God has called us to reach. I met this past week with Principal Aaron Davis at Reeves Middle School. Had a great conversation with him and and sensed a great receptivity to our uh, presence. And uh, we intend to knock on doors of the immediate neighbors in in the coming weeks. But the most important thing that we can do right now is to pray. Uh, we could have an encyclopedic knowledge of facts and statistics regarding the, the area and, and know the names of every person in every home. But that would not produce spiritual power. It would just create awareness. Let's see, the, the power and, and the impetus for missional engagement, the thing that God is calling us to do in that community, comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's appropriated through prayer. I want you to notice a few things in that passage I just read. First, notice the combination of the the proclamation of the gospel with meeting tangible, personal needs. That's a a New Testament principle. We see it emulated by the apostles in the early church. Been one of the things that, that we've tried to emulate and practice as a church. We've seen doors of opportunity for the gospel open to us as a result. Notice notice next the eyes and the heart of compassion that Jesus demonstrated. He saw them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And I think so often as I hear Christians talk, and instead of seeing people as harassed and helpless, we see them as stubborn and resistant. We need to see with the eyes of Christ. We need to ask God to give us his eyes to see people as they really are, to give us hearts of compassion for people that we might not otherwise choose to love. And then notice the call to prayer. What is, what is that prayer? It's a prayer that God will send his workers into his harvest. And we often lack for workers, don't, don't we? And why is that? It may be because we ourselves simply lack compassion. We simply don't really care about the lost condition of the people around us. We, we don't really care about their personal circumstances. It may be that we don't see the harvest the way Jesus sees it, so we lack a sense of urgency. In another place, Jesus said, the field is white unto harvest, which was a way of saying that the, that the fruit is rotting on the vine. It needs to be harvested now, or it's lost forever. 
And it may be that we fail to ask God for workers. We simply don't pray. Instead, we beg and we manipulate and we coerce. And all the while, God is saying, pray, pray, trust me, I can do it. And that's a great segue to the last thing I want to say about a church that prays. A church that prioritizes prayer will never, ever lack for God's supply. You believe that? I don't think you do. You believe that? Yes. <laughs> See, we have this promise from the Lord Jesus. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And we have this from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, according to a, an infinite source of power and provision. Do we have needs? <laughs> yes, we do. Needs are us. But, but here's what I want to leave you with. See, the people who enjoy a, a vital relationship with God, the churches that enjoy the blessing and the provision of God, are not those who merely know about prayer or can talk about prayer or say they value prayer, who can explain prayer. Instead, they are those who pray. They are those who pray. And may we be that kind of people in that kind of church that prioritizes and persists purposefully in prayer and experiences the pleasure and the blessing of God. Let's pray together. Lord, would you work that in us? And may we intelligently respond and actively respond to prioritize prayer in our personal lives, in the life of our church generally, and in all of its ministries, all of its groups. Lord, there are a lot of things that we could do besides pray. But there is nothing more important than prayer. And so, Lord, would you invite us? Would you fill us? Would you motivate us to be a church? be individuals that make prayer a first priority in our lives. In Jesus' name, and for his glory, for his kingdom, amen.